Welcome to episode 425 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we feature a grand conversation with American journalist and writer Seamus McGraw. We talk with him about coming out of the pandemic, the fog of war and peacetime, his new book, From a Taller Tower, The Rise of the Mass Shooter, Toxic Forms of Manhood, Grievance and Victimhood, Obsessions with Fame, the Media, Constitutional Rights, Mental Illness, Extremists, and a few other compelling topics, too. The Grand Conversation and an important one with Seamus McGraw on this week's episode. We have an EWSA titled Sacred Myths. We share some very compelling statistics and findings via Harper's Magazine, its May 2021 issue. And we have an EW poem titled Brilliant. All of this, of course, will be imbued, infused, with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to be with you. Let's get to it. Episode 425 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours.
Sacred Myths The lonely figure betrayed by what is rightfully his, the love necessary for human existence, deprived and instead replaced by quid pro quo and a national narrative of empty notions of patriotism, overused mantras of it is what it is sort of biz. I am functioning on fumes these days of late, trying to figure the motivations that conjure a need to organize military parades. The celebration of tanks, banks, bombs, bullets, rockets, and rocks all over history, celebrating war and protecting a pursuit of the perpetual upswing in bonds and stocks, with machine guns and glocks. Our children open to anything but directed to embrace violence, fear, and hate, not to try and live, let live, empathize, and commiserate. The fear of ourselves, of each other, of them, a world of sacred myths and misunderstood rites through our constitution and religious hems, and crafted for entertainment toward profits by the media and movie makers. Also, there are the hard truth deniers and division inspirers that ride roughshod day and night over the best aspects of humanity so as to protect their narrow, misguided notions of wrong and right. We do not need weapons that so easily kill and massacre, but they are here with hate and fear as their masters. Crazy bald heads, the feds, the elite, those replete of anything left to lose, those saturated in drugs and with booze, the willful fools and unknowing rubes, and we sit around with frowns waiting for a hero. This sort of mentality will certainly lead to a success rate of zero. Exactly one. 
Seamus McGraw, is that you? That is indeed. Oh, nice to have you on Troubadours and Rock on Tours yet again. Always a pleasure. Let me uh, share with those who haven't heard our conversations in the past a little bit of uh, background information before we get going. Seamus McGraw is an American journalist and the author of several books, including the critically acclaimed The End of Country, Dispatches from the Frack Zone. Betting the Farm on a Drought, Stories from the Front Line of Climate Change, as well as A Thirsty Land. In his most recent book, From a Taller Tower, The Rise of the American Mass Shooter. Seamus has been a regular contributor to many publications, including The New York Times, Huffington Post, Playboy, Popular Mechanics, Reader's Digest, The Forward, Spin, Stuff, and Radar, and has appeared on Fox Latino. He has received the Freedom of Information Award from the Associated Press Managing Editors, the Golden Quill Award, as well as honors from the Casey Foundation and the Society of Professional Journalists. We are happy once again to have on Troubadours and Rock On Tours, Mr. Seamus McGraw. So, sir, how are things going? Well, they're going well. They're going well. It's uh, We've been... Uh, Getting a lot of opportunities to talk about uh, the subject matter in this book, and uh, I'm grateful for that. Has I won't say that I've enjoyed it. It's a difficult, difficult subject, but uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity. Yeah, last time we spoke, I think it was back in November 2020, you were uh, putting the finishing touches on, on the book. We discussed it a bit then, mm-hmm. and um, we were in the middle of the pandem- pandemic. Have you, are you feeling like we're, we're coming out of the pandemic now? It certainly does appear that way, and uh, 
there's a great deal to be optimistic about as a result of that, but there's also some room for some trepidation, Lawrence. Um, we've seen, I think one of the things that I've been focusing on, obviously, for the last couple of years um, are these particularly egregious atrocities. And towards the end of 2020, all right, towards the end of 2019, um, in, particularly in the late summer and early fall, we saw a uh, spate of these mass atrocities. Um, and they were interrupted for a period of time, uh, I think, by the lockdown that uh, kind of overshadowed the whole country. During that period of time, an inordinate number of uh, firearms, and uh, particularly the kind of lethal firearms that are used in these events, were sold. And as we've seen, um, the restrictions on movement lifted as we come out of this pandemic, we've seen our other deadly epidemic um, reassert itself. We've had uh, a significant number of these things, um, really since, uh, since the beginning of the year, but certainly since the middle of the spring. And I think there's some cause for trepidation in that. That's a good way of putting it. You know, we do, we do have a, a major um, a chronic, it seems, uh, illness with regard to gun violence in this country. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm concerned, too, that now with, without uh, a focus on, on, on keeping us a bit more, uh, I guess, out of each other's, uh, uh, I guess... Line of fire. Line of fire. <laughs> now, now it's going to occur again. Now, when when you get into that mentality, and I know there's a particular chapter in the book that you wanted to focus on today, that mentality is is uh, very much about war, really. That these, I guess, the shooters have, as well as perhaps it's the not vic- so much about war as it is about a sort of twisted vision of um, sort of. <sighs> a toxic form of manhood. It is something that is endemic to our culture, Uh, this aspect of it. We've become, over the last 50-plus years, a culture that has become obsessed with a sense of grievance and a sense of victimhood, We've become, we've actually come to um, embrace victimhood in our culture uh, as a, uh, as a virtue. We have also become people obsessed with fame. It is for, uh, for some of us the most important thing in the world. And that's one of the other things that tends to motivate these particular kinds of shooters. And finally, we are a people awash in a particularly lethal form of firearm that is marketed, manufactured and marketed directly for those fame-seeking people who claim to have a sense of victimhood. 
Yeah, the one thing that comes across when you look at these things uh, across the board, let's not even leave, let's not even leave uh, the 40 miles along 81, okay, where you are right now, Lawrence. We've had two significant mass shootings in that area, massacres, atrocities. Um, both fueled by a sense of grievance, both fueled by a sense of rage. I'm talking about George Banks in 1982. Uh, let's not use his name again. Down in Wilkes- Wilkesbury. In Wilkesbury. Yeah. Okay. Pennsylvania. And I will also not use the name of the murderer in Binghamton in 2009 at a community center there. Binghamton, New York, yes. Binghamton, New York. And in both of those cases, in both of those cases, in, in New York, there were, uh, there were uh, 13 people killed with a Tech 9. In Wilkes-Barre, 13 were murdered with an AR-15. Um, I'm sorry, it wasn't a Tech 9. It was, uh, it was a 9mm Beretta. In, in Binghamton. Magazine, in yeah, Binghamton, yeah. with an extended magazine, which uh, allowed him to fire 99 rounds in three minutes. Um, in both of those cases, you can find the echo of grievance and rage. You can find the easy accessibility of firearms. They fit the profile. One of the things that I find intriguing about this is we tend to buy into myths, Lawrence, okay? We tend to all – there's a part in the book where I, I ask a number of people, including one mass shooter, okay, to describe a mass shooter to me. And they all describe more or less the same guy, a disgruntled white guy, usually young, somewhere between the guy who committed the atrocity at Sandy Hook – and uh, Keanu Reeves from uh, from The Matrix, you know, somewhere in that. Spectrum. It's interesting. Yeah, it is. It's interesting. It's interesting. Okay, the mass shooter I spoke to. That he gave me that one. Same one, but the thing is, he was an Asian guy. Okay, the shooter in Binghamton was from Vietnam. The shooter in, uh, in um, Wilkes-Barre, the murderer in Wilkes-Barre... African-American. ...was a biracial. Biracial. What they have in common is not their race. We have a tendency to focus on that. But the fact that they've wrapped themselves in this American myth of grievance. Even the ones, the most horrendous atrocities committed overseas, in Norway and in Christchurch, all have that peculiar American fingerprint all over them. And that, again, is the celebrity, the victim. The celebrity, the sense of victimhood, the sense of rage, the sense of narcissism, the things we've come to commodify in our culture. And I, it is, though, I mean, you make a great point here, uh, and, and, it's a, and it's an important focus. But I think it is true statistically, right, that most of these mass shooters aren't white guys. Are. No. No? No. No. They are rep- there are more white guys than there are anybody else, but that's because of the way they're represented. It is almost a, a, a statistical representation of the culture at large. So per capita, 
Uh, right, yeah. right. What you see, what you see is people who, <laughs> regardless of color, regardless of, of race, regardless of religion, regardless of of, of any of that of that, embrace this. I think corrosive vision of American manhood. What they are almost entirely, not entirely, but almost entirely, are male. Yeah, uh, and and would you say they have these folks? Do you know? Did you do the? Did you do research to this uh, point that are they are they born with a mental illness or is it something an environmental? I think mental illness is a shield we hide behind. The reality is somewhere in the 60% range, depending on which studies you, you look at, have some form of diagnosable mental illness, which is shared by tens of millions of Americans who do not commit these kinds of atrocities. The idea of turning around and saying we have to make, look, we have it, we do a dismal job on mental health in this country. We do a dismal job on, on mental health in this country. But that alone is not, is not the root of our problem. That's something that desperately needs to be addressed. But to turn around and say, oh, we'll make this about mental illness, at the same time, by the way, that we're either opposing or not uh, enforcing laws and regulations that would restrict access to these firearms from people who do show signs of um, this kind of antisocial behavior is a red herring. It's an obstacle that is being put up, frankly, to prevent, to enforce. There's a line I use throughout the book, Lawrence. The line is, um, there is no silence on earth deeper than the silence between gunshots. It's deafening. It drowns out everything else. And very often, I think for very corrupt reasons, um, advocates um, for unfettered gun rights, extremists like that judge in uh, that federal judge in Southern California, uh, who just the other day uh, took a soon to be reversed, but still controversial stand on um, overturning the uh, the assault weapons ban in California. Same judge, by the way, who uh, also overturned their, uh, their, uh, their ban on extended magazines. It, one was used, uh, let's keep that in mind, at the massacre at the borderline in Thousand Oaks, California. Um, the, uh, the point that I'm making... And I'm rambling a bit, but the, the point that I'm making is that I do believe, I do believe very, very strongly um, that mental illness becomes one of those phrases that we throw into this, like thoughts and prayers, that is designed to silence the debate and to enforce that deadly silence between gunshots. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, well, the debate should be about what then? If it's not, if it's not about mental illness so much. And you, I love the the uh, point you just made. How there are 
tens of millions of people that have certain the same type of maybe mental illness that we we identify in a, in a mass shooter, though those people are not choosing to to go on a rampage. Right. Exactly. Uh, so I, that's that's important uh, to to make note of. Uh, if it, if it's not about that, and it's not about just having faith, you know, uh, then what what is it about? It's about a couple of things, and I think one of the things we need to we need to keep in mind when we're talking about um, these kinds of mass shootings is we will be told that they are tremendously rare, and that is true. Of the 40,000 gun deaths annually, a comparatively small number of them involve massacres of four or more people in a public place. But those are the ones that catch our attention, no question mm-hmm. about it. But many of the same factors that would reduce, not eliminate, but reduce the kind of um, atrocities that we're talking about would also have a profound impact overall on gun violence in the United States. Even self-inflicted. If we were to turn around and restrict the extended magazines that allow these massacres to be committed um, in a matter of seconds. If we were to turn around and limit the specific weapons that tend to be fetishized by these guys, tend to be fetishized by gangbangers, we would reduce the number of casualties. If we were to enforce and establish red flag laws, we would reduce the number. Very often you will see most of these, many of these mass shootings begin with incidents that we would describe as domestic violence. That's where a lot of our, the ones that, that, that don't make it out of the house to kill others. There are thousands of them that we've looked at over the years. And those, too, could be addressed in those situations. Close the boyfriend loophole. Do these sorts of things. Reduce the flow of weapons, and you slow this. And then, Lawrence, then we have to address the underlying, the other underlying cause of this pathology, which is our obsession with fame, our obsession with grievance, our floating islands of rage um, on the Internet that reinforce these senses of victimhood and the sense of the hero. The other thing we have to do is abolish the myth of the good guy with the gun. I think one of the most chilling things in the book is when I sit down and talk to that mass shooter who uh, murdered three at his uh, college in Massachusetts in the early 1990s. Um, I asked him, I said, would a good guy with a gun have stopped you? And his answer was chilling. He said, I thought I was the good guy with the gun. Hmm. Of course. We need to address that. We need to address that in ourselves. And it's our responsibility. It's our responsibility. Now, 
as you know, I'm a 63-year-old white guy with terrible teeth who owns a bunch of guns. In fact, there's hardly a day that goes by from the middle of October until the end of January when I do not have a gun in my hand because I'm an avid hunter. Now, I usually carry a, a flintlock, which uh, you know is, as far as I'm concerned, the weapon that the Second Amendment guarantees me the right to carry. Um, but the truth is, there are millions of gun owners in this country who fit my demographic, who share my feelings on this. And I think one of the key things we need to do in order to address this ongoing epidemic of slaughter is for us, that demographic, the old white guys with guns, to stand up and say to these organizations and these judges who purport to speak for us, you do not speak for us. Well, the NRA, I guess you're talking about. The NRA is basically on the ropes, but the, but the toxins that the NRA has released into this country since the 1970s, since it, it had its, its, its internal coup that sent it on this bizarre right-wing lurch, the toxin that they have released into the, into the culture. Yeah, because the NRA was really about hunting. Right? It really was. It was. Yeah. It was a. It was a respectable, uh, a respectable organization. It's. It's become a joke and a laughing stock, and and for all intents and purposes, a racket. Um, and it's. It's on its last legs. But the toxin that they've released into the into the uh, in, into the culture over these last forty-five or so years. Yeah, they helped to create um, that mythology that you're talking about. That's now. That is now very much in our bloodstream. And we need. Now, it wasn't the NRA that brought the suit in California that this absurd, ridiculous judge, who, by the way, had been uniformly opposed for uh, for appointment um, by the Bar Association because he is and always has been a clown, um, an extremist. Um, <coughs> that toxin. Yeah, it wasn't the NRA that brought that suit. It was one of the metastasized toxic cells that the NRA helped inject into our bloodstream. Uh, and again, they don't speak for me. And they don't speak for most of the gun owners I know. Now, see, you you are a gun owner and, and you enjoy the use of a gun. And uh, I respect that, you know. I, I, I per, I'm the opposite. I, I, I see no value or use in guns. I don't. I, I really... Well, you don't feed your family with it. I do. I don't. I don't feed my family with it. Uh, you know, years ago, it was necessary, I'm sure. I don't think... Now you go to the supermarket if you want. Um, uh, I don't eat meat either, you know, so... Well, there you go. I, I fish. I, I'll eat fish. <laughs> but, but anyhow, and I'm not, I'm not criticizing you. I'm just putting another no, perspective... No, I, for me, I, I don't, I don't, I don't like that. I love this country. I'm proud to be a citizen of this country, and I don't say that because I'm afraid that someone will think otherwise. I want to claim it because it's true. I'm an American mm -hmm. citizen. I'm, I love it. I hate that aspect of this country, though. I'm not mm -hmm. that guns are such a big part of how we define ourselves. And and I we, will say this. I will say this, Lawrence, and I think you're making a very, very good point. I'll tell you what the very, very good point is. I have four kids. 
they range in age from 16 to 31. They grew up in a house where, as I said, I had a gun in my hand every day for a quarter of the year. Not one of them ever picks up a gun. Why? Because they share your sensibility of guns. Okay. Uh, Their attitude towards guns is that my firearms are tokens, totems, fetish items for a culture to which they do not belong and which they have no truck with. And here's the thing. The more intransigent, the more hostile to even the most basic common sense regulation, this gun lobby becomes, the more firm my children become in their conviction. Exactly. I'm 63. I'm 63. I'm a generation that's passing off the stage. My children's generation is the generation that is going to be confronting this. And here's the thing. They don't have the kind of fealty to a expansive vision of the Second Amendment that my generation had. And indeed, they're becoming increasingly hostile to it, not because of responsible gun owners like me, but because of the intractable, intractable opposition of a small cadre of extremists. I honestly say this. The biggest threat, and I need to say this to my 60-plus-year-old white friends with guns, the biggest threat to your Second Amendment rights and my Second Amendment rights is not coming from the Biden administration. It's not coming from David Chipman. It's coming from extremists like Warren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Briscoe Kane in Texas and what's left of Wayne LaPierre. They're the biggest threat to the Second Amendment going forward. And unless gun owners begin to recognize that and respond and demand that our voices be heard, I don't see much of a future in the long run for the expanded, even even a narrow Second Amendment. Yeah, I, I hear you. And Times are changing. They are. And they... you are on the ascent. And you are on the ascent... I guess. In no small part because of the corruption, irresponsibility, and intractability of a handful of extremists on the right. I suppose that's right. You know, I mean, we're not, people aren't concerned about fishermen, you know, or, mm-hmm. or bird watchers, because mm-hmm. their, their activities don't, uh, aren't so I violent. Know, you better watch that damn Swiss Army knife <laughs> while you're out there fishing, but okay. Right, yeah. right. It's, it's interesting. And I, you know, I understand the culture. I, I don't like, of our country and the history of our country. I, I as I said earlier, the, I don't appreciate that violent aspect of it, you know. No, uh, I don't either. I don't either. And we're steeped in it. 
We're we are. Steeped. We are. We truly are. And uh, I, you know, I don't know the, all the answers, but I know what the what the what the problems are. Uh, and your book uh, focuses on them very, very clearly. Uh, you 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 want to uh, share the the title again and where people could maybe pick it up. It's called uh, From a Taller Tower, and uh, The Rise of the American Mass Shooter. It's available at bookstores everywhere, um, and I believe uh, if uh, if you want to help fund Jeff Bezos' uh, trip to Mars, uh, it's also available on Amazon. <laughs> I, I always enjoy talking with you, Seamus. You 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 uh you have a great energy. You do great research, and uh, you have a an excellent turn uh, gift of of uh, using using the the uh, American uh, English language. So I, thank you so it's much for sharing. It's always a pleasure, it. Lawrence. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. Talk to you again soon. Enjoy the summer. You too. Bye bye. Bye. Trouble, but keep 
And now, some actual statistics and findings. Very compelling, provocative, sometimes troubling, sometimes humorous, via Harper's Magazine. Let's start off with Harper's Index, the May 2021 edition. Percentage change in average U.S. household spending on streaming services since the onset of the pandemic. Plus 24%. Average increase in the number of streaming services an American household now subscribes to. 1. Percentage of directly held stock owned by the wealthiest 1% of Americans. 51% by the wealthiest 10% of Americans, 92%, by the bottom 50% of Americans, 0% held stock owned by the bottom 50% of Americans. Percentage of Americans who believe the stock market is rigged against amateur investors, 64%. Estimated percentage of long-term day traders who ultimately lose money. 97% lose money. Percentage of Americans who think the stock market does a good job of measuring the country's economic health. 17%. Amount of energy in terawatt hours used each year in the production of Bitcoin. 121 terawatt hours used each year by the United Arab Emirates 113 terawatt hours estimated percentage of energy used in Bitcoin production that is generated by non-renewable resources 61% factor by which a solar farm was more expensive to build and maintain than a coal plant in 2009, 3.2%, by which a coal plant is more expensive to build and maintain than a solar farm today, 2.2%. Percentage change in overall car sales last year, negative 14%. Percentage change in electric car sales last year, plus 43%. Year in which humanity is expected to require two Earths, 2030. Number of years that have passed since Earth previously reached today's average temperature, 12,000. Number of days by which climate change has lengthened the duration of allergy season since 1990. Five days. Percentage of Americans who are concerned about climate change's impact on their mental health. 55%. And percentage change over the past year in the membership of the Optimist International Club. Negative 9%. Actual statistics. And now, some actual findings. Again, from Harper's Magazine's May 2021 edition. Antipsychotic medication dosage can be reduced by as much as 75% if mixed with a crab-derived polymer. 
and grafting autologous pluripotent stem cells into monkey brains relieves Parkinson's related dyskinesia and depression. Duchenne smiles indicate intensity rather than genuineness, and stuttering is linked to astrocytes in the striatum. Male mice have a special sperm variant that poisons competitors in its ejaculatory cohort, but mice with too many such sperm are infertile. Male superb liebirds sometimes imitate the alarm call of a mobbing flock while copulating with females, possibly to frighten them into submission. A study of Reddit posts revealed an increased use of pronouns three months before to six months after a romantic relationship. The tendency of daughters to produce divorces manifests only once they enter their teens. Canadian child marriage was being driven underground and child marriage across much of the world was being encouraged by the pandemic. Italian researchers enumerated the distinguishing features of idiopathic and acquired pedophilia. It is difficult to establish whether cognitive impairment contributes to depression among HIV-positive Zambian children. A Dutch engineer debuted a booth in which people can be tested for respiratory infections by screaming. How about that? Say 
tamales and fish hoist as we cruise the dashed lanes of the northbound expressway. The late spring green trees and leaves, warm breeze and heat and sun brilliantly on display. We are one in fun-filled excitement and glory today. Lollapalooza and hip hip hooray! Let's pray to the strength within us for these beautiful, strong feelings to stay. Closing me, I said. 
it stands unfolding with all the willies and their wares. I shuffle by, alert but numb to all the glances and the glares. I think of you unheeding all the times I raise my cup. It's now I know that you knew that I'd soon end up end up. Episode 425 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, Seamus McGraw, Harper's Magazine, and these musical artists. Thelonious Monk, Beck, Kemper Van Beethoven, Painted Shield, Fortet, Wilco, Fish, Terence Blanchard, and Bramford Marsalis, too. And of course, I would like to thank 
you for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and try to do our best with this time. Take care.